Thanks for listening to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's True Detective Anthology, brought to you by Bald Move. This conversation covers Season 2, Episode 6, titled Church in Ruins. The war was lost, the treaty signed, I was not caught across the line, I was not caught, though many tried, I live among you, well disguised. Ray and Frank have a showdown over the identity of his wife's attacker. Frank denies that he knew it was the wrong man, claiming someone else, someone whose identity he can't or won't reveal, gave him the information and he was just passing it along. After doing what he can to comfort Stan's grieving family, Frank continues to search for the hard drive. He goes to the Mexican drug dealers and a woman named Irina, who tell him that a thin cop came asking around. So it took six hours of watching True Detective, but they finally got me on uh, one of these episodes. Oh, they got you, huh? Yeah, they got me. I really like this episode a lot. Sprayed that pure Molly right in your mouth. <laughs> Maybe. Had you Maybe. Puking, puking rainbows. That's what it took. I had some hallucinations where <laughs> Nick Pizzolatto with a beard was coming after me, uh-huh. and then I just really liked this episode a lot. I think it was, I mean, if, if nothing else, it was entertaining top to bottom. Like, it had a yeah. really epic Frank and Ray showdown, which I thought felt genuine and well-written for the most part well acted yeah Uh, it had a raid on the sex party that while i'm not sure i under fully understand why they're there and what they're trying to accomplish (laughs) was at least suspenseful and oh yeah high stakes for characters that i feel something about Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean this was uh i I think that i you know i was kind of hooked on episode two and episode four uh, maybe it's the even. It's like the Star Trek theory. It's the even episodes are the the home runs here. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we're rounding into seeing a final two episodes where this might all kind of hang together and, and be mind-blowing, which I hope so. would be the inverse of last season, where I think the first half and you know trailing into episode five was the most exciting, uh, intense parts, uh, and then we just kind of wound down the series. It'd be... Hmm kind of a neat inversion if if the last three episodes really kind of tied everything into a bow and we're still kind of have things up in the air that get nailed down in an exciting way all right i mean yeah i think you know with two episodes to go they have a lot of ground to cover sure um there are a lot of loose ends to tie up and i can see people if they don't tie up the vast majority of these questions that we all have people might not be satisfied with that I will say that uh, something came in on the feedback, the feed, the, yeah, the feedback, yeah. the feedback mailbag, yeah, the feedback. feedback. So I, I strapped it on, <laughs> and uh, Jake from Tallahassee uh, dropped a dime and said that the next two episodes are going to be supersized. Okay, episode seven is listed at sixty-five minute runtime, and the finale eighty-seven minutes. So you've got roughly two and a half to two and three quarters episodes to go mm-hmm. in in real kind of screen time. So. Maybe they—they, they, I mean that—that that gives it more time to kind of wind things down than I was suspecting. I was thinking, yeah, an a hour more. Piece, so, sure. And with a eight-episode series, you kind of got to assume they're going to move pretty fast anyway. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm more interested in seeing the rest of this thing than I was last week. I can tell you that. Uh, th- the first five episodes, of this didn't do much for me. No, I, I felt, you know, I said on uh, Facebook and the forums that I kind of felt validated as a fan, and I'm not sure if 
I'm not sure if that's an accurate way of how I feel because still, like you know, I'm 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 still looking for them to connect the you know Ray's apparent death at the end of episode two and mm-hmm. some of this raid stuff uh, that we saw and and have it pay off. But this episode gives me a little bit more faith that they have the capability and the realization that they need to start paying the stuff off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, there, there are some things I want to talk about, you know, directly about uh, the the scenes here, just kind of what I thought about it. Um, like that first scene with Ray and Frank just kind of I, sitting at the table. Yeah. We all kind of knew there wasn't going to be a gun battle right in Frank's living room. Um, or, or at least we were, we were guessing. <laughs> that that seemed to be the prevailing opinion last week on the podcast. I will say that it definitely charged up that episode because they both had the guns pointed under the table. We knew that. Yeah. I think they both knew that too. And and I also knew that Ray probably didn't care whether he lived or died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank, I think, does care. So that, that gave it a lot of really useful tension. The big question I have... Is Frank being straight with Ray? Evident, uh, that's a good what's question. What's your gut tell you? My gut tells me yes. My gut says yes too. I mean, uh, maybe I'm I'm a sucker and I'm buying what he says about his sense of justice and all that stuff. But yeah, my gut says yes. So let's talk about the evidence against because I don't think there's any evidence for other than the gut. <laughs> sure, you know? it's the gut and you know the pattern of behavior because you have to look at some of his other actions. And I, from what I've seen, Frank is an honest guy like he he doesn't necessarily lie to people yes he intimidates yes he uh manipulates in certain ways but he i've not seen him lie really no he seems like old school godfather like i have a sense of propriety i might be ruthless to my enemies and people that are outside the you know Mm -hmm. that that are that are not that are not civilians but he seems to be uh, kind of disturbed by people doing things to children by people doing things to people he consider innocence that's but but on the other hand, the thing that's kind of sticking in my craw here is he does withhold information. Well, and I, I felt like he was a little cagey about his sources here. Like, yeah. on the one hand, this is what, 10, 12 years ago? So, and he's mm-hmm. a different person now. He's moved up the ladder. He's gone legitimate. Some of these contacts to, you know, crank yankers or crankheads or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are probably stale. Probably going to need some, some, some. Sure some uh, gangster investigation legwork. Yeah, but he's he's been stirring up old paint for a while now, right? I, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I felt like he was a little cagey. Like, there was something shifty about Vince Vaughn's eyes. And Vince Vaughn's got shifty eyes. There's <laughs> he some, does, yeah. There's something a little shifty in those beady little eyes mm-hmm. when Ray was trying to get the brass tacks about, like, I need to talk to this rapist. Or I need to talk to the guy who gave you that name. Yeah, and, and also, you know, the hard drive thing, right? That's another part of it. He says, uh, w- once he's kind of back on Frank's side, Ray's like, who's this hard drive guy? Wh- who wants it? And Frank's like, ah, it's a corporate guy. Yeah. He could have given a lot more information there. He could have said it's Catalyst. Here's his name. Here's how you been get a hold of him. M.O. He's kind that's of. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why I don't totally trust Frank at this yeah. point is that he withholds a lot of information that might be vital to him getting uh, the mission accomplished, you know? So there's two other things. I also felt like him saying, you might be the only friend I've got, that yeah. felt like a genuine moment. Uh-huh. 
But on the other hand, when his wife Jordan comes out with her gun, which was pretty cool, I mean, that's... I totally forgot she was even in that room. And it's a total noir thing, her coming out with her little silk Uh, dressing and holding the revolver and kind of vamping into the room. Yeah. The look they shared, I mean, it could just be just pure relief tension, but it's almost like, oh, wow, that could have gone... And I guess that's true. That could have gone bad. Mm -hmm. But there's a little bit of maybe we got away with something. Oh, like he doesn't know or that kind of thing or that that was on Frank's face. I don't know about Jordan. Cause I don't know. If Jordan knows either way. Hmm. It's, it's too early for the psychosphere, but I've got a crazy theory about what's going on here. Okay. We know that the mayor Chisani, the mayor of Vinci has, well, I don't, we don't know this, but we, you know, talking stuff in the psychosphere, we think that there's been this cycle of, uh, well, I, I can't even call it a cycle. Damn it. I'm, destroying my theory as i'm talking about it <laughs> frank inherited the the poker room and the lux and his clubs and all that from some other guy it seems like and, and he yeah. was named um maybe he was displaced maybe he retired you know joe the boss style whatever mm-hmm. we also know that the mayor has been at least telling frank that he's entertained offers from other up-and-comers we know that blake is one of those up and comers. It seems like he's been trying to step out on his boss. Seems like it. So we also know that the mayor is getting pissed off and tired of all the shenanigans with Frank coming into his office and kind of rolling mm-hmm. tough on him and kicking around his deal with the, you know, Casper and all this stuff. Who stands the most to gain from this total stranger coming into the plot with DNA evidence connecting him to his wife's rapist? Who stands the most to gain this split uh, Frank's, you know, strongman away from him at this crucial moment? It's Mayor Chisani, right? I suppose so. Like, of the players we know, I guess so, yeah. We also know that uh, the state's or attorney Blake? general... Blake probably does. The state's attorney general who did this all this back-scratch and handshake and bullshit deal with the the mayor and the city of Vinci and kind of swept all this under the road, and now he's running it for governor mm-hmm. uh, on on the platform of eliminating corruption. We know he's super corrupt, and also he is, like, the, the top lawman, and it would be fairly trivial for him to insert this kind of crazy bogus evidence, DNA evidence, that would incriminate Frank and Ray. And finally, when Ray went to confront the rapist in prison, mm-hmm. the guy looks nothing like Chad, which I understand this, you know, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, like uh, genetics doesn't always work that way. You yeah. know, like you can have redhead skip generations, all this stuff. But cinematically, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like, you know, um, the seed is strong situation. Sure. He doesn't look anything like this guy. And he's saying stuff like, you know, I'm a little messed up in the head and they're telling me I did all these things. He seems like a patsy. Now, he could Maybe. just be saying that, but mm-hmm. he didn't give the performance indicating that he was just saying that. I feel like these are things he truly believed. Yeah. So you get a guy who's kind of addled in the head, has got a history of mental illness. You pin some bogus DNA evidence on it. You know that's going to get back to Ray and Frank. They're going to be at each other's throats. I wonder if this is actually some kind of red herring and Ray did kill the right guy. I mean, yeah, it's not impossible. Sure. What problems do you have with that, that uh, theory? That it's a lot of speculation um, and a lot of assumptions. I mean, I feel like we're encouraged to do that, though. Sure, sure. That's I'm not I'm not dinging you for that. I'm just saying 
Is there any actual evidence? Is there something I'm looking at that would actually be a directly contraindicator of this thing? Now that I can tell, no. Other than the fact that DNA evidence does connect this man to his wife's rapist. Yeah, I mean, you're going more conspiratorial. Yeah. Which I think is warranted in this show. Okay. All right. But I think that's. I'm not going to put up too much of a fight against that. I don't know where this ends up because it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that by the end of this episode, Ray and Frank are back to being true blue. Seems like it. Yeah. Um, but there's another theory I have, which is all this evidence they got, which we're going to talk about, you know, but but all these contracts and, and the person they kidnapped, none of this is really great evidence since it was essentially an unlawful break and entering and, yeah, you know, yeah. there's people killed, all that stuff. It's not going to hold up in a court of law, but it might be similar to the arc that kind of Marty and Russ went on last year where they were kind of renegade ex-policemen. Mm-hmm. We have two renegade members. We have an ex-cop and Ray, and we have a, kind of a morally upstanding mini godfather and Frank. It could be that this is Annie and Paul turning over information for them to get to justice. Because how do you fight yeah. a system that's corrupt all the way to the top badge in the state that potentially could be the governor? Yeah. He's literally Through, the top executive officer in the state. How do you fight that? How do you fight the system from within? You can't. Yeah. Not when the system's that corrupt. Sure. So, and you, what, you, how do you fight against Vinci? It's a fake town that has no voting populace. It's uh-huh. just, it's, it's a plutocracy. What, what, do you, what do you do? So, you know, you fight the sprawl by putting on black masks and fucking shit up. I mean, it's the Batman sure. theory of justice. Yeah, it's exactly what they did this episode. And I, I, I mean, they're halfway, like, to being state-sanctioned or something. I mean, this she, she's clearly assembling a task force that's supposed to be off the radar but i got the impression last episode that there's some kind of sanctioning of this well i mean so, like i can imagine right. there could be some big blowback on her but that's the thing so d'angelo's mom who's now the state attorney that's kind of mm-hmm. sponsoring this quasi black ops yeah i don't understand how it actually works within the legal system i don't either how do you keep the left hand from knowing <laughs> what the right hand's doing but and uh, still have it be legal i mean she said a lot official. of a lot of buzzwords like off the radar and no pings and yeah yeah you know independent contractors and budgets off books and like so <laughs> i feel like yes we don't really understand how all the sausage made but nevertheless it's coming out um yeah. she seems pretty obtuse in what way like this murder shack being a mile or two away from this club that we know uh-huh. has these photographs being taken and these rich and powerful people there to just brush that off is like, don't you have uh, other things to do? And sure. then when the, the sheriff from the is it Sonoma County sheriff, uh, whoever has jurisdiction mm, over the know. sex club and yeah. the murder shack comes in there and they're like, hey, man, this is our crime scene. Get the fuck out of here. Now, that could just be interdepartmental dick swinging yeah i mean that's something you see every other episode in justified sure and no a lot one, of that no one's like oh this is corrupt head to toe mm-hmm. uh it's a it's a standard cop trope that kind of standoffishness but in this show that's kind of suspicious and she sees that and she knows they're fighting a conspiracy that goes literally to the top so mm-hmm. why is she being so kind of obtuse annie goes in there and this crazy dangerous mission to generate enough actionable stuff for her to take this all seriously she feels more to me like she's just gonna leave it to these this group she's assembled like she's just gonna kind of step back and not really deal with this i just wonder what she's gonna do when she finds out that this has happened that's a really good question because yeah i don't (laughs) she's got to be pissed right because like i said it's got it's got to come back on her if this is any kind of official yeah squad 
But if it's not, I feel like there's, you know, I've always heard like in in other works of fiction where cops get things obtained illegally, um, but they kind of like reverse engineer it. Like, okay, knowing this information, mm-hmm. we won't use any of this evidence, but we'll, we'll, we'll use this information we have in our head to actually find evidence that we generate legitimately. Sure. That, and, and I think that if that, gets, that veil gets pierced in court of law, it's game over. Yeah. But I feel like that's something one can do. Yeah, I mean, especially they'd have to prove that they stole these documents. They'd have to prove that they busted into this party. Yeah. It seems like if you don't say that and you don't ever let anybody know that and you just say, okay, here are the people we need to follow to collect evidence. Yeah. Um, here are some of the leads we can follow up on. But uh, I, also, I don't know. Isn't it, the case, like, I think this is something like in Rainmaker where, like, if you have – if you have evidence that you've you personally have acquired illegally because you broke a contract or you broke and entered or you went into an unauthorized location, mm-hmm. but you you take that evidence and turn it over to the police, the police can still act on that evidence as if they huh. got it lawfully. I have no idea. That seems like a massive loophole. Yeah, because you could just have a guy like hire Ray. your independent contractor. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh huh. Um, they had nothing to do with it. Just wind it up on my desk one day. Yeah. I don't know. The, I know we have lots of real lawyers uh listening to this that they can help us out yeah but yeah that's kind of how i think things are kind of uh, going um all right speaking of that murder cabin what do you think about the blood contaminated gonorrhea that's the second time gonorrhea has been mentioned how was it mentioned in the first uh, it is reference it casper tested positive po- uh, positive for gonorrhea so are we supposed to believe that someone else died in the snuff house with the crow's mask and all that, and actually Casper was the one tortured to death in this uh, murder shack? No, it can't be, because they said it was female. Female blood ah. with gonorrhea, so it's impossible that it was Casper. Yeah. But also, didn't they make a big deal about the fact that these girls were all tested to be clean? Like, you know, you're having a big, uh, hmm. you're having a big, uh, rich and powerful uh, stag party. You would think. With a bunch of clean girls. I mean, if you're going to surgically enhance them to be tins, you might as well make sure that they don't have a disease, because God forbid these guys wear fucking condoms. Uh, that's not, yeah. that's not eyes wide shut. I, I doubt there was any safe sex practice at these parties. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't strike me as correct. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> But but there's something. I mean, you mentioned gonorrhea out of the blue, two separate mm-hmm. episodes. I feel like that's some kind of connection. I don't know what. Are, are, did Casper have someone important to it? Is that Casper's assistant that was replaced? And mm. I mean, the timeline kind of matches up. If that went down. Right, there's something there. If, if that goes down into September 9th, I think, full mo- uh, the previous yeah. stag party. party uh and that his assistant, which was in like the week before Halloween, said that she'd been on the job for six weeks. That kind of all tracks together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, maybe the crow actually didn't kill Casper at all. They just found the body and then staged it so it would be discovered because maybe the crow and Casper were working together to bring this whole thing down. Now, that doesn't match mm. up with what we know about Casper. Yeah, kind of being a like womanizer to, and using women and being like, in, you know. And trying to get in on this deal. and He's got the diamonds. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that still I don't have a real good handle on. Yeah, the diamonds are interesting. We'll talk about those, I'm sure, uh, in more detail in a minute. But I, I don't know where you want to go from here because there's a lot of other stuff I want to talk about just of my my feelings on certain scenes and stuff. Okay. Um, Cause I want other doesn't relate to point. I want to clean up about what did you think about the Ray versus Frank showdown just from a performance standpoint? I thought, you know, I went into this, like I've said before, not liking Vince Vaughn. Uh-huh. 
man, I've changed my mind. Jesus, I thought he was so good in this episode. I feel like the big mistake they did is have him, so many scenes of him sweating small, small steak stuff. Like going yeah. around and, and leaning on apartment managers and sure. construction and now, guys. And now we see him actually yeah. doing some some awesome stuff and it, it feels right. Maybe it was just goofy to see this guy going so over the top dealing with like, you know, middle class, non-criminal people. Yeah, a bunch of, bunch of blue collar guys. That but are, you see him driving nails into dude's shoulders and going toe to toe with Ray. And, and it's not just that too, right? It's like, so you look at the scene with uh, Stan's family. And that's another scene that really blew me away is how yeah. he handled this kid. Um, I, It's kind of what we love about gangsters, right? Like, they're these bad guys. But in the end, they'll always, like, take care of the families of the people who are hurt by their actions. Yeah, it's, they'll, it's, it's they'll the try godfather. to make up for it. It's the godfather romanticism. Yeah, that, like, absolutely. They only hurt people that deserve to be hurt. Yeah, and then they take care of their families. Yeah. They, they're, they're good to their communities, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, that's kind of that the part bullshit. that makes everything else okay yeah, yeah. in our minds. And I feel like, man, he pulls this off uh, when he's talking to this kid. Because there's a lot of Frank in this conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, the stuff that he's saying about this kid's father and how, like, there are splits in your life. And uh, you can take those and you can put them to good use. Yeah. Um, I felt like destroy you, yeah. that totally resonates with what we know about Frank's childhood. Yeah, uh, and he says he's got about five of those at yeah. this point, uh-huh. which yeah, I can see that. When uh, I was watching this, I thought I ate it up. Um, yeah, and it was in stark contrast to complete lack of chemistry that Ray and Chad have, which might be the point. I want to talk about that <laughs> next. Uh-huh. But it, I made me think is like you know I ought to take and like make a supercut of like an hour's worth of inspiring father son speeches. Like you get the speech from Rocky Balboa, you get this, mm-hmm. you throw in Christopher Walken from from Pulp Fiction as a, you know, to, to, to break the tension. Like, would that be cool? Like, if, if if you would record that for, like, your son in case something happened to you? Like, it's like, in case, like, you know, play, mm-hmm. yeah, when you're 21, play this. And this is everything I wanted to say, only done well, way better. So is better. it going to be you reacting those scenes? Or is it going to be... <laughs> That's even better. No, I was going to do just the takes, uh, just the raw takes. Of stuff I, I think like you that. should reenact them. You should dress up like the characters... All right. And reenact them. Right. And put it on VHS. Uh, so I'm a sucker for father-son relationships. It's like it's my favorite thing about The Walking Dead. It's one of the big reasons I keep watching the show. Yeah, yeah. Because there's something compelling there about Rick and Carl. Coral. And I like Frank's quote because he seems like he could be a good dad. Uh, and he certainly was a good father figure here. It seems like it mm-hmm. gave the kids some comfort and closure. But Ray and his son have nothing. Yeah. And Chad is just this nothing character. He's got nothing. Like, hmm. And I don't know what to do with it. Because I think that's part of the point. He's super uncomfortable around Ray. Ray called him, you know, it's like that really terrible scene where he calls him, bullies him and calls him a fat pussy and all this stuff. And sure. And he's not clearly into the things his dad wants to be in. There's like the chemistry, what little chemistry they might have is off by the court reporter there. But like, I, I just was like, yes, just cut this kid loose. Get out of here. You're not doing any good. And I don't, am I supposed to feel that way? Because I kind of, uh. I, I don't mind Chad being... Some, you know, fat redheaded kid that's not like his dad in any way, mm-hmm. but he should be engaging somewhat. I feel, I feel like maybe you're blaming the kid a little bit more than you should be. I'm not or bl- than no. the show's telling you to. I think he's, suppo- he's doing what he's supposed to do. 
And I'm what I'm saying is like if I'm supposed to care about the relationship, I should have. I mean, it, the Ray's relationship with him feels fundamentally selfish and more about his own pride as a man than Absolutely. really paternal. Like when he says "I love you" to Chad, I don't buy it. Oh no, no, you're totally right about that part. I I just don't think the that Chad should be blamed for any of that, right? Like Chad's reaction to his father is exactly that. It's a reaction to That's his father. That's what I'm father. saying. Am I supposed to have am I supposed to be feeling this way that like Ray just needs to get the fuck out? And but Yeah, yeah. I I don't think I don't think anybody is thinking that Ray is a good uh influence on his kid. But I've also felt simultaneously like our principal point of engagement is can Ray redeem himself yeah. and one of the ways he can redeem himself is to be a good father to this kid. Whereas, like, I feel like that ship has sailed a long time ago. It has, yeah. And he just needs to get out and, you know, con- it doesn't even make, you know, any kind of conditions on it. It just needs to get out of the kid's life. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and that's a weird thing for me to feel both of those things simultaneously. <laughs> like, the kid can not, again, he doesn't have to be like his dad. He can be a, a, a pacifist and he can, but make him interesting. Like, would I want to have a conversation with this kid? No. No, certainly not. And it, maybe it would help us a lot to see a scene of him with his mother. Or, or see him really alive with his stepfather. That's what I mean. Yeah, like, something. Like, see see how he interacts with people who aren't hurting him at every turn, you know? And who he's less closed off to. Right. Yeah, no, that would that would have been, uh, that would have been very helpful. Yeah. Uh, I, I gotta say, though, I, I do kind of feel for Ray in this scene because... That's that's the most awkward oh, situation terrible. ever. It's terrible. Like, I'm going to sit here with arms folded and a notepad in my hand waiting for you to fuck up uh-huh. so I can take your kid away. Now have fun. Yeah. Now interact normally. <laughs> I, I feel like that he was worried about the wrong things. Like, I mean, sure. these observers are looking for, like, gross abuse. They're not, like, writing down guys awkward about the... Mo- There's a this, you know, debate about uh-huh. uh, whether instruments of death are appropriate bonding activities. Uh, father talks shit about friends, the beloved sitcom. Like, I don't think any of that stuff is actionable. He was just freaking out about it because he was yeah. realizing I have no relationship with this child and I'm trying to go to the mat for this relationship yeah. that I don't have. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they did. But I get the idea that this that, that ch- poor Chad has just been subjected to this bullshit out yeah. of his sense of guilt over what all happened between him and his mom. Well, that's uh, like they're sure as shit writing down when he says, "Oh, I guess not." When when he says, "Do you do you care if you see me or do you want to see me again?" Yeah, or well, whatever whatever he says, um, he responds with, "I guess not," as if like, "Okay, sure, I'll see you again if I need to." But there again, I mean, you the can kid talk obviously, that up to being awkward having a stranger there. Like, I, I feel like that the social workers are not complete idiots. I guess uh, they understand the situation, yeah. But yeah. but at the same time, like kids don't react in the same way. Well, like Ray trying to engage her repeatedly. I mean, this is his. He seems like his own worst problem. Like, uh, if you want to win an argument with the judge, you don't do it by telling him he's a dumb fuck. And yeah. not looking at the right things. If you're trying to, if you're trying to impress sure. a social worker, you obey their at the minimum obey their directions to pretend like they're not there, which I get is hard. But I mean, if I'm the social worker, I'm looking more at the kid, right? Because the kid's going to give the more honest reactions to stuff. I guess. And also, at eleven, you can start to say, "Oh, maybe this kid is going to put on appearances," but uh-huh. certainly not as much as Frank is, or I'm sorry, Ray is. Yeah, I just feel like Ray was freaking out because he, uh, uh, you know, he was having his emperor has no yeah. clothes moment. I have no relationship with my son. No, he was realizing no it in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he he thought he had something that he didn't, and now, I mean, that's why he goes on this bender essentially, right? Yeah, he, he's realizing, oh my god, I th- I don't have any chance with this kid. I don't have a relationship, and that's why he calls up his wife and comes to that realization that he's just going to let him go. Uh, yeah, I think I think this is the episode where it turns and he says, "I'm no good for this kid," and he's going to be much happier without me. Yeah, Can and I ta- thought, frankly, that he was going to commit suicide. He might have tried. Like the amount, I cannot. I mean, I I'm not familiar with any of the drugs that have been used in this episode outside of alcohol, which I'm fairly familiar with. You've heard of them, just not use them. Uh, yeah, uh, but I still understand the quantity of cocaine that this man was doing yeah. in conjunction with the quantities of booze that he was ingesting uh-huh. was kind of suicidal. Seems like it. Like, and he even was like clutching his chest at one point. Like, oh, this might be the big one, <laughs> Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm coming home. Coming. Yeah. I, yeah, I. He might have had that in his mind. Like, maybe that was his crucible. Like, if I can get through this night without dying, and I'm going to take everything <laughs> that I've ever gotten out of the, I'm gonna, I'm going to go raid my uh, medicine cabinet from my car. I'm going to take everything I stole out of the evidence room. I'm going to do it all. Yep. I'm going to smash all the models. If I survive, then then that means I get to keep. I get to escape with my own soul or my own my mm. own life. I don't know. I All really, right. I'm always, because I, that's just not how I interact with the world. Like when I engage in really painful stimulus, I don't fucking go and dr- drink myself into a stupor. It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I understand that people do and yeah. that a guy like Ray would, but I, every uh-huh. time I see, I'm like, Phew, Jesus, this is a big mistake. It's only this is it a way to compound your problems, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> For sure. Uh, can I just say I really like the direction in this episode way more than previous ones? Miguel Sapochnik, man. The guy that we yeah, were... He knocked it out of the park. I mean, he, shots as simple as, like, the scene where, you know, they find out about El Monte, and they're walking in the street to this house is just so well done. Like, I, the it, it, it probably helps to have that music behind it. And I, I was watching this thing, and I'm thinking, like, man, this is a lot like Drive. As far as tone goes, you're right. Like Which that kind of that was a very stylish noir yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, um, I didn't care for that film, but it was stylish as hell. Yeah, well, not a bad, not a bad uh, direction to ape as far as. Yeah, and it was moody, and it was it was kind of stylistically similar. Yeah, but like that shot, and then again, like a Frank walking into that abandoned. Yeah, warehouse, white warehouse, where he was going to torture the guy, or the construction site, or whatever that is, the and, quarry, and the actual action shot of the heist was really good. And this is the guy, yeah. you know, we didn't had never heard of him before until he directed. Well, we knew he, I'd never heard of him, but he directed Repo Men, which I've ah, seen yeah, that, yeah. and he also directed Hard Home on this year's Game of Thrones, which we just fucking couldn't believe how well done that was. Mm-hmm. This guy is like the the masculine Michelle McLaren. I mean, he's Seems just like he's really got getting a reputation with me anyway for doing really well done seamless action. Yeah, uh, and I think you know he's he also does some quiet moments pretty well. That's true. It's so not. It, it felt very intimidating the way that was shot. It's almost damning them with faint praise to be like, oh, they do action so well because they do yeah. everything. They're like a you know like a you know, they have all the tools in the tool set. Yeah. I feel like action might be some of the hardest stuff to shoot. It's the most showy. It's definitely sure. technically. I mean, thinking about yeah. all those cuts and like where the camera's going to be and 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 coordinating the stunt work. And How do we show that he's not actually hitting him? <laughs> yeah. Whereas directing the quiet moments is all about your relationship with the actors and and getting that emotion out of them, which is, yeah. you know, that's a different type of magic, I guess. But yeah, he's really good. I'm I'm going to be officially excited about any episode that he's attached to. 
Yeah. No, he. I wish Breaking Bad was still around so he could take a poke at that. Uh-huh. Maybe they better call Saul. Better call Saul. There you go. There you go. <laughs> to get the get the Villa Gang, I gotta I gotta slip them a, a note for their production. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going back real quick to to Ray and his kid. Do you think Ray makes the right decision here? Like I know. Yes. I don't know what decision you're referring to, but yes, the decision to to call off the um, the, the court case and just I say so. I'll, I'll give you all the custody rights. I think so. I think so too. Um, From the evidence as, I have far, in front of, but I, I guess what I'm really getting at is this this idea that his wife won't tell his kid that it's that he's not actually his father. What do you think about that decision? Well, I don't think that's something you can hold someone to. A, I don't think she meant it, and I don't think that he believed she meant it either. He wanted to hear it. Well, I don't know. There's, I, I feel like that there was one line that screamed significance, and I don't really want to talk about it because I don't have any evidence. But when she says, I need to do this for myself, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Like, would it be a relief to find out that her child was actually the rapist and not Ray's? Like, what – I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a woman in that situation and what kind of closure that would give you. But I thought that that was a significant line and that might actually somehow speak to the actual identity of the rapist and whether that's significant and whether Ray got the right guy and whether he's actually the guy's father. There was something to that, and I I, I don't have Mm. it. But no, I think Ray, from what I see, that Ray exiting this kid's life is going to be a huge relief. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it from, like, the, the angle of... So, so A, I think part of the reason I thought that Ray was potentially going to commit suicide here after this phone call uh, is because of the way he said... He just he just wants to hear that she's going to tell the kid that. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't even need to believe it. He just wants to hear it. Um, and I felt like that was kind of his swan song. He's just going to go out on that note. Uh, See, I think committing suicide would be a dick move. Like now, if yeah. you die in in some kind of heroic, that's probably the best case scenario mm. um, as far as him and his kids' relationship is if he can somehow die heroically, so that <laughs> okay. you know, as a kid grows up, he's like, I didn't understand my old man, and he was weird and mm. he was violent, but you know, it's kind of like Russ said. Sometimes you need bad men at the door to keep the other bad men out. You can have a yeah. sense of quiet pride, and that that. Part of that stock is in me. I mean, there's like kind of things you can work with. But if your dad just blows his head off yeah. after he has this tearful conversation with your mother about promise you, you'll never reveal that you're the pro. You know, I that just feels like ah, what do you do with that as a child? Yeah, but on the other hand, like if your mother tells you, oh yeah, I was raped, and you're no, a product th- of that rape. I my think, God, I think. <laughs> If she's anywhere close to telling him about that part of his history, that uh-huh. she's that that's a bad decision. That's maybe wait a while, <laughs> and then maybe never. Yeah, like that. That's yeah. I'm kind of with you there. I think this kid is already messed up enough by his father. Uh, whether or not this is real father, if he found out something like that, it would just crush him. Yeah. No, it's like you know what Jesus Christ what. You know, there there's something bad wrong with me. My father can't love me. He's not my real father. I'm the product of this violation of my mother. Yeah, that's. I don't know how old. I I'm, I say I, I don't think it's kind to tell a kid that ever. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, I yeah. I'm, maybe there's circumstances, but Jesus, that's like. And maybe Ray understands that, and that's why he's asking. Yeah, I don't know. 
But then again, I don't know. I, there's like two ways to look at the whole like, do you tell a kid if they're adopted or not? When do you tell them? Like, the, Ado- yeah, adoption is one thing. Uh, I get of it. Is. But I'm saying like, there seems like I don't, I shouldn't pretend that I have enough information about this to say what is good or bad or what a kid would want. And if a kid says he wants to know, do they, is it, you know? Yeah. Sometimes having information that you want is not necessarily the best thing for you. Annie goes undercover as her sister to get into the sex party. Once inside, she finds Vera. Waiting outside his backup, Ray and Paul stumble onto Osip and McCandless, signing some documents, which they steal. Things go sideways for Annie. She's forced to kill one of Osip's men to get Vera and herself out of the party. Okay, let's talk about the end of this episode. How fucked is Athena right now? Super fucked! As far as, it, as far as everybody who's concerned knows, she just went into this party and killed a man and ran off with Vera. And <laughs> we said, like, well, there's no way. How do you prove? But one simple way is you lock the place down. Uh-huh. You see who's still there, who you've checked in, whose purses you've got, whose cell phones you've got. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure that she's smart enough to use a burner and fake ID and all that kind of stuff. But still, who's missing? Athena. Yeah. yeah Someone knows who Athena, like... You know, Blake, it's either going to tie back to to Annie mm-hmm. or more likely they're going to be looking for Athena, who is yep. a known person, a known quantity, and she's going to be f- murdered, straight and up murdered. They know who these people are, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think Annie probably used fake IDs and all that, yeah. but... But she would have to re- use the ID of her sister uh, in order to get in I under guess, that ID. I guess. I was just thinking more that it could just be bullshit IDs, and but Blake's going to know that it was Athena. And, At the very least, it's got her picture on it, right? Because he's she's already someone that he knew mm-hmm. because he mentioned Athena. You're older than... Like, that's the kind of thing that makes you stand out in a crowd. Like, something... You've got a, a certain look about you, which is true. Rachel McAdams is, is, is something else. Um, but also, you're old. I mean, there's a bunch of things why he would remember what she looked like. Yeah. And then you try to f- track down the real Athena. No, I feel like that that's going to be one of the big things that uh, Annie's going to get her sister really hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what she does with that. I don't know how she deals with that. Uh, I, I don't know. After she spent this whole episode. I mean, that's the other thing with Annie. This is now mm-hmm. her third raid that she's gone in and fucked up in some way or, or gone off half cocked. She didn't have accurate information yeah. on the cam horror operation. I, I don't think we need to talk about the shootout that <laughs> ended up with countless civilian deaths and police deaths. That was yep. that was a half cocked operation, and this is the whole time everyone's saying this is a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. What's your plan when you don't have a knife? Well, I'll figure it out. What's your plan when people demand easies? Oh, I'll just figure it out. Are you really sure you want to do this? I can handle myself. Like this pig headedness is going to end up costing her sister something, and and it's I don't got know. to. Yeah, yeah. And you can't say that she didn't see it coming, too. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, everybody saw it coming, right? Last episode, we were talking about Except this. Except Annie. You know, she's she's pushing her sister back into this world, at the very least, um, when she's just about to get out, Godfather style. Did you think it was a little too heavy-handed? Her sister gives her a portrait of a woman drowning on dry <laughs> land in the exact episode that Annie almost gets strangled to death? Ah. Uh, hmm. I hadn't even thought about it. But oh, I guess, really? I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Because the second I didn't get in for the second watch, I'm like, oh, oh, I see what they did there. Um, yeah. I 
I viewed that more as a, a metaphorical thing, not like this literally tied to... I guess it could just be foreshadowing, too, which I don't know why it made me roll my eyes a little bit, but... Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. This scene really, really worked for me. Um, which scene are we talking about? The, 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 the house scene, the party scene. Okay. The orgy scene. Uh, from Annie's predicament, regardless of how she got into this whole predicament and whether or not she should have been there in the first place, once sure. she's in... You feel, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat going, this woman is in serious danger here. Yeah, when they sprayed that shit in her mouth and she started tripping and then having hallucinations of her past, I'm like, oh, this is yeah. really bad. Like, thank God they have a transponder because uh, I, without that, I don't know how they get her out of there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of following her around the perimeter of the house. And that seemed here, to be right? the plan, that she was going to go be the primary infiltration and see what she can find out. Mm-hmm. While these guys are going to infiltrate, uh, primarily to make sure that they've she's got a, pa- a path of exit and they yes. can help her out, but as a secondary objective to see what they can uncover too. Pretty yeah. convenient that they happened upon Osip and the catalyst guy having a very important discussion about their business sure. dealings, and it's super convenient that she found Vera inside. Like, yeah, a lot I, of. Are you surprised this- Vera showed up? As that she's been some kind of like drugged out permanent sex slave to this cult. This I don't know. Cult, I honestly this. thought she was probably dead. I did too, but obviously not. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. How does that fit in with the idea that oh they're hiring these two thousand dollar hookers? Plus, like all she the was time. acting like her and and Annie were having completely different opposite reaction to these drugs that the other women were having. It seemed uh, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they were, like, really having a hard time and a bad trip. And the other girls, it seemed like they were describing it as if this makes the thing, if not bearable, then more fun. Now, there was a lot of well, shot of like, dead-eyed hookers. Sure. You know, because... Uh, maybe, maybe you hit on it. Maybe it's just a bad trip, you know? Yeah. Like, it, it kind of depends on your headspace when you go into those things, I, I, whether or not you'll have a good bad trip. I have no trip. idea what Molly is. Like, I, I, I've never done Molly. Is it or... I, I don't know. Um, I've, I've ever... But I do know that the concept of a bad trip is a real thing. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and it, it's largely dependent on... Set and setting. How you're going into it. That's not a good set. Uh, not, a, not a good setting. So if these other women are like, shit, I'm making $2,000 a night for this thing. Uh, yeah, I'll go in and bang a few guys. Yeah. I don't care. And they're having a good time. Maybe their trips are different. Yeah. Because the other ones were actual hookers. I mean, they're there for yes. a purpose, and they know what they're there for. But there's some. But whereas Vera looked like she was forced into this whole thing. Yeah, Annie I, just, obviously I don't know how to square there. the circle between this being human trafficking, which implies like everything kind of against these women got bamboozled. With some of them seem like like really excited to be there, and the women yeah. that Chasani was parading to from you know took picked them up from Pitlore and dropped them off to Osip, they seemed like they were like, oh yeah, this is like this wonderful experience for me. I. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like that's all that metaphor is all mixed up. Well, it's all fine until you end up in the murder shack. <laughs> well, maybe it seems like Vera's having a bad bad time anyway. But yeah, she's she's definitely forced into the situation I, she's in. I was kind of surprised at how tame the party was. Tame. Like I, I mean, thought is this there a was Saturday night for you. <laughs> <laughs> Please, a Thursday night. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no. I... With the murder shack and the sex swings and the masks and the weird stuff, I was expecting a minimum eyes wide shut levels of what the fuck. Okay. If not some more kind of unconventional BDSM fetish mm-hmm. um, 
you know, maybe some some people doing there's like a lack of consent involved. I don't know, but it seemed I think like an orgy is a this seemed like just itself. a giant rich person orgy, which I yeah. kind of believe this shit happens. Like I just, I th- yeah, well, probably, yeah, probably so. Um, like this is like Hollywood from the 40s and 50s, right? This is just you know, yeah. I mean, I guess this is Rat Pack shit. Everybody's wearing tuxes and they're jacking off and they're banging broads three at a time and everybody's having a good time. Sure. I, I'm not sure necessarily what I expected beyond an orgy. You're you're probably right. I did expect some, at least some masks, some kind of culty thing. Yeah, a statue of Moloch without a kill them. Kind of get a concrete owl. <laughs> kind of get an altar. That's can an, somebody be another strapped mile to an altar? back in the woods. That's, yeah, can there be some robes? I mean, some this, robes and some chanting. This is the entrance to the party. This this is not the party. <laughs> Right, That's there's true. another party going on, and it's not happening in this house. That's true. Like, where's the basement? What's uh-huh. going on in the top floor? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you might, but no. I was little with HBO. I was kind of like this. I don't know what again what I was expecting, but kind of like eyes wide shut or 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 worse. Okay. Some Caligula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is some McDowell levels of depravity going here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what else we want to talk about? What some people were talking there- shit about the music. I don't get that at all. Like talking shit about it, like yeah, like they were saying, good. Yeah, I loved it. I loved the fusion of like the classic kind of '60s era heist. Yeah, some saxophones. Yeah, with the throbbing synth track of Uh Doom. I those are two great tastes that taste great together, and I felt like it very well fit the scene. I think so. I feel like it's a modern twist on the the noir. Style. Yes, yes, exactly. And I'm, I'm happy to see that. I, I thought that worked, but I noticed a lot of people saying, what's up with the music? I don't like the music. And again, like, you know, that's completely subjective opinion. I'm yeah. not hating on you, but I did not share it at all. The other thing about this party is I don't think there are going to be future parties at this place. Uh, No. It seems foolish. The Chandelier Ranch needs to be shut down. Because... Yeah. And I'm frankly surprised that they left the murder shack as murdery as it is, right? Like, be a little, cover your tracks a little better. Well, you know, clean up the blood. Maybe I, take the tape off the chair. Yeah, I That's or burn the fucking shack down every like, time. Yeah, yeah I, and then build a new one. It it helped me a little bit because I thought that was like you know in this place's backyard, like it was on the grounds, like it was like the you know the the shed. I thought so too, but yeah. they mentioned it being like two and a half miles away. Yeah, it's back so, there. So, and it's not on the same property. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's. But it's not going to happen again. And I wonder if maybe they burned some of the uh, the evidence they could have gotten by just having this thing blow up. They still got Paul with like three binders full of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. they they pulled out evidence. I just wonder if they had been a little more sly about the whole thing. If they could have gathered evidence over a longer period of time and yeah, figured out more. I, I don't know. What else do we want to talk about on the because uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Frank's other half of the story where he goes into full investigation interrogation mode. We get to figure out we got to find out why his assistant's called Nails. Mm-hmm. Um, creative interrogation scene, uh, which led to the place in El Monte, which led to the actual Mexican standoff with real Mexicans. Did you did that work for you? Was that funny? I thought it was kind of funny. I didn't think it was funny. I. Or, you know, as a wry, ice-breaking observation between gangsters. The funniest thing, I think, that happened in this episode is when Frank and Ray are talking, and he's about to walk out, and Frank's like, you, you might be the only friend I got. And Ray's like, wouldn't that be fucked up? Yeah, yeah. I, I chuckled at that, but no, I didn't think the Mexican standoff was particularly funny. I want to read an email from Matthew S. 
Okay. He goes, I thought this was a great episode, but I couldn't help chuckling at Frank's David Brent-esque negotiation style. Oh, one, Jesus. step one, make racist joke during 10 standoffs. Step two, tell your opponent exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Step three, make overly generous opening offer. Step four, reveal remaining information under minimal questioning. Step five, offer unsolicited increase to previous overly generous offer. Step six, immediately accept the first counterproposal. Step seven, ensure the deal is in no way constrained by any explicit or implied conditions. Step eight, wait by the phone. Step nine, sound as desperate as humanly possible during the resultant meeting. Step mm-hmm. ten, profit. And he says, how did Casper only get $5 million out of this guy? I think it's because that's all the money he had. Yeah, see, he could have gotten but more. But when he analyzed he it, I, that was what was bugging me watching this scene is like, Jesus, Frank, what are you doing? Like, here's, what, here's what you got to remember, though. If this works and Frank gets his hard drive, he's out. It doesn't matter if he gives away all of his clubs and all of his poker houses and everything. He's trying to get this $5 million land deal back in place. And if he can do that, he doesn't care about his underworld operation. Uh, you kind of still got to care about pissing off the Mexican cartel. But he can just sell the club and say, oh, by the way, there's a deal with this. And if he gets 50 bucks for the club, what does he care? Yeah, I, that's that's a good point. But on the other hand, it is a very glaring sign of weakness. You kind of have to play the game. Because if the other guy knows that you're all he out... Ma- he made then... him an offer they couldn't refuse. <laughs> yeah. In a different way. I'm, I mean, I, I feel like if he just played the game... I'm, I'm with Matt. If he, the guy, if he just kept his cards a little closer to his vest and played the game out so these guys didn't know exactly how big a boner he had for this information, mm-hmm. things might have gone differently. Now, having said that, this seems very rules lawyery. Hey, we said you'd meet face to face. I didn't say anything about the blood being <laughs> blood left in her body. Uh-huh. And now we'll take the, de- you know, it's like, <laughs> here's your face. Here's her face. So Frank's <laughs> going to have to have a gun battle with these guys, right? Probably, yeah. Here's the thing that I didn't like, I guess. And the thing that doesn't make sense about that is the way he handled Ray felt like a powerful man handling a serious problem that he's got. Yes. He he didn't back down. He didn't like acquiesce to to Ray and say, "Oh, he's got a gun on me, so I'll be nice to him." He pointed out like all the flaws and in Ray's personality and all this stuff and and it felt like he was in control, whereas yeah, in this negotiation it did not feel like he was in control. Yeah, well, I mean, there again, he's dealing, like, Ray has got a functional system. I mean, it's a fucked up system of morality and justice, but he has a functional code. Whereas the Cisco kid is cleaning off the blood that he uh, that he just slit this girl's throat as one of their people for essentially yeah. shits and grins. You know, because Frank would give them, like... I kind of like the reasoning they gave. Yeah. Oh, Cause yeah, because she talks Because it's kind of like... She admitted to talking to cops. Everybody knows that's not really the reason that they did it, but it is also a plausible reason to yeah, do it. Yeah, I guess. Snitches get yeah. all the blood drained out of their body. <laughs> that's how the that's, saying that's goes. That's how it goes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to talk about is Frank's interrogation of this guy who had the connection to Arena Rufo. Okay. Uh, he says, you're Santa Muerte, mm-hmm. which... I'm not aware of being an actual official religious practice or and he's like the guy. That's what like, that guy says. Yeah. Like it's not a gang. It's not like that, which I liked his friends. Like whatever the fuck. It's a book club. <laughs> sure. Like, that's a pretty good line. Yeah. Uh, but this is a big thing has been part of the series since episode one. This whole, I mean, Casper had a Santa Muerta shrine set up in his sex apartment. Yeah. 
But in his home. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. his sex home. Like I, well, he everything had a sex is apartment. a snuff house. It's a sex home. It's it a fuck cabin. It's a murder <laughs> shack. Everything's got some kind of hyphenated, terrible thing attached to it. Um, but yeah, there. It's not like that, but it's like something. Yes, there is something to Santa Muerte. It is a group. It is a group of people. And the other thing how is how they're affiliated. We also know that Nick takes things that are kind of real life, like, you know, increasingly obvious Bohemian Grove, the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Blackwater con- uh, Security Consulting Group, yeah. uh, the real life uh, city of Vernon, and then he puts a spin on it. So if he takes the real life kind of, you know, sainthood of this Muerte character and kind of the, not exactly cult, but the following that that has around it, mm-hmm. is he going to spin that into another cult? And is Casper and his his fingers and everyone he's out of fingers. How many pies has he got at this point? He's like an octopus with this pie you're, finger bit bullshit. You're absolutely right. He's I, like, oh, you got a movie fi- you got a movie pie. Give me a finger in there. You got uh-huh. a real estate pie. Yeah, you got diamond pie, sex pie. Got him. You know, he's Jack yeah. Horner with ten thumbs. You're right. Uh, All of them with plums on them. I, I don't. I don't know how Santa Muerte is going to connect, but you're right. There have been two very obvious references to it. So. It's it been a while since somehow. we had one. Like it's like I, I don't think we've had one since we saw the shrine again in episode two. So yeah. this seems you, very think, significant. So we know that the club that uh, Ray, or I'm sorry, the club that Frank muscles back in on had an arrangement with these this uh, Cisco kid and and the guy who's running. Is the this operation. Cisco kid and the other guy the not Cisco kid? Uh, the less ridiculous dressed one. Yeah, the best. Were they attached to Nodos and this other guy, or were they just kind of in their territory? Were they low level? Mem- I think they got to be attached, um, because they know about each other, right? Like this this Santa Muerte guy knows where El Monte is and was knows he, that was that's El Monte a setup. Because mm. it's, I thought it was also kind of weird that he happened to come along at their, you know, lair. Where they were all gone, and then they come in in force. Like I feel like that this yeah, that this true. this was a bit of a setup. The 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 nail guy was a bit of a setup operation. If so, uh, then Frank's a bit of a sucker, yeah, because he just I, got thrown into an ambush there. Well, I mean, yeah, they played him for a fool. Uh huh. Like you know the 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 flaw with you saying with with him like you suggest saying. I'll give you my clubs. I don't give a shit about anything but this woman. That's signaling to them that I am weak and also I need this thing so I can no yeah. longer be weak. So if you deny me that, you can get everything you want and give me nothing. Like, I don't know. It just is a massively underplaying of his hand. Yeah, he's a desperate man. Yeah, well, that's, you know, like you said, you don't do anything because you're hungry. Not even eat. You shouldn't. You're right. But sometimes you <laughs> he's do. He's going back on his, his, his yeah. episode one advice, damn it. I know. It's the shame of it. So I get some feedback that's in the psychosphere. Danny H. says, The young brother and sister shown in the picture are obviously going to be the killers in the mask, or at least one of them. The question is, are are they people that we've met before? Now, I don't know that I agree that they're obviously the killers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but this is – is, he's touching on two kind of very popular theories here, so we'll let him run with it. 
And of course, he's talking about the brother and sister that were part of the jewelry heist. They survived, survived the horrifying account of them surviving in a a cabinet for days with their dead parents. They're rotting there in the the heat of the L.A. riots. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking it's the mayor's mayor Chisani's son and daughter. We've already established that he's up that she, speaking of the daughter Andrea from Breaking Bad, is up to something, and we know that he is a good actor who changes personality to suit whatever is required of him. Also, Nick has been following a similar pattern in season one where both these characters first appeared in episode three, which is when Errol Childress first appeared in season one. They're also the same age, late 20s to early 30s, like the kids would be in the picture. What if they are adopted by the mayor after the shootout? This would tie in with the adoption infertility theme of the season, especially if the creepy plastic surgeon made it Mayor Chisani's wife infertile somehow, which, of course, is speculation. Mm-hmm. It seems like Nick Pizzolatto would have been, uh, could have been laying the seeds for this twist all season. What if they'd just been getting revenge on their parents murder this also could tie in the police shells used on ray the murders took place during the la riots which is why uh, which is something the police use the riot shells ray's dad many of the police force we've met or even a 20 year old upstart criminal frank could be implicated in a robbery slash murder of these kids parents i'm not sure how young you have to be to join the police but a, could a 20 year old ray have been in the riots that's an interesting question. Like, I I feel like we're trying to make too many connections at this point. But mm-hmm. the riots were in 92. Colin Farrell is almost 40. So if he's playing that on the show, then he'd be only 18 during the riots. And I don't I, I don't think you have to have a college degree to get into any police force, right? I have no idea. So, like, 22-ish is, the, like, the youngest you could be to be a cadet. Now, mm-hmm. maybe he's 45. Maybe it is possible. Um, certainly when his dad starts talking about the riots and, the, and he's not volunteering information like he had anything to do with that stuff. So uh, and also let's take these theories one at a time. Do we like the theory that these kids are the mayor's kids? No, I don't like that theory. I don't like it either. Why don't you like it? Uh, I think the biggest, most obvious thing is their names are not the same. He could have changed the names. He could have. Why would he do that? I don't know. Like these kids are old enough to identify. Like certainly the boy understands like this is my name. Yeah. And the girl's those... four years old. She understands it. She knows that. Yeah. Like suddenly you're calling me a different name. What? Yeah. I, I'm not going to like that. I don't, I don't know. And also the, I think the, the names are the biggest problem. And they've always talked about their mom and their dad as if that's just a real thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that it would have come up in conversation with Annie if her mother wasn't re- wasn't the the real their real mom or especially their dad who they describe as a monster is not the real dad. Mm-hmm. Like it would surprise me that they don't acknowledge that at all. But I gotta say the picture you could age them up and see the brother and sister. Yeah, and you're right. The name's a problem. The way the family dynamic doesn't really fit. But it wouldn't surprise me if if Nick is you know, kind of jockeying for that position. Also, that would help kind of tie some of these plots together. Mm. Do you like the idea of the kids being either affiliated with the Raven or one of them, the Raven themselves, or both of them are the Raven getting revenge against corrupt cops and corrupt institutions that they blame, you know, that that they blame on their parents' death? Could be. Could be. I don't have a huge problem with that. There's another Reddit theory where... You know, because it seems that they hinted pretty strongly that the police were involved in this diamond heist. They talked yeah. about it being very tactical, you know, like a SWAT team, and it happened at the time of the riots. Like, this is some kind of 
shield the the shield kind of um extra legal hit squad that might have seen this as an opportunity to line their pockets. Mm-hmm. I buy I think that's pretty strong. Yeah, I definitely got that impression. Um hmm. I'm just not sure. I don't I don't feel like we have enough information yet um to know to know for sure how the diamonds connect. Arena mentioned a a white a, a skinny tall white cop yeah asking her questions um that's pretty obviously the lieutenant right i think so does does that help or hurt the theory that he's involved with the raven i think it helps it does it really cuz i feel like the raven is against corruption and this guy seems to be working he's he's pro I thought it was up in the air See, last still, year, but I that conversation that seems like it's pro corruption. He's trying to cover up. I don't buy that it's that it's anti corruption that the Ravens after here staging. I still don't buy it. What do you think? It's the point is then if you're staging that body to shine a light on Catalyst. I mean, you were on that from the beginning. Why are you off it? I, no, I wasn't on that from the beginning. I've I've always said it could be someone on the inside of this deal who feels like they're getting screwed by Casper. So it's a Casper it's a greed thing, thing, not a noble Robin yeah, Hood yeah. Batman kind of thing. It could be someone within the operation. It could be one of these kids. Pretty I'm, fucking operatic. Sure. If you're not trying to make a social point, like why the masks? Why all the yeah. theater? I mean, I if you're just wanting to get revenge, it feels like you're rolling with your muscle and you, you settle with guns. I mean, I'm just not convinced that that's not the case yet. Like. Everybody seems to be totally on board with this idea that it's a revenge killings. I'm I'm not totally on board with that yet. All right, got another email from a Sarah HL who has a degree in literature and um, theater. Okay, and she says that there's a lot of interesting. You know, we talked in the early episodes about the commonalities that these characters and settings have with some of the Greek tragedies, mm-hmm. like uh, Oedipus. Yeah. Uh, she says one of the major elements of Greek tragedies is the tragic hero's flaw, which is typically hubris. There's usually some sort of reversal of fortune as well as an antagonist uh, realization. Uh, actually, I pronounced that wrong. Anagnorisis, what? which is the term for a realization of something crucial, usually their tragic flaw, but at a time when it is far too late. For example, in hmm. Creon, who is the king in the play Antigone, sentences Antigone to death for giving her brother, the traitor, a proper burial. He realizes once he walls her into the cave that he should not have done this and that isn't the way justice should be carried out. However, Hmm. when he unearths her, he finds out that she's hanging herself to spare herself that fate. Uh, Antigone, too, arguably suffers from hubris, which is what led her to being confined in the cave in the first place. She continues, I don't know, because we talked about that in this episode one and two, that particular part of the the uh, Oedipus, God, I don't know why I can't say that right, Oedipus uh, mythology. Uh, I don't know what the tragic here is supposed to be in the season or even if there is one, but I do find the other elements of Greek tragedy that I previously mentioned seem particularly prevalent, especially the stuff about hubris. So many characters suffer from excess of pride. I want to talk about the main cast in terms of hubris and whether if this is and I think that there is a lot of information saying that this is kind of a Greek tragedy from a 10,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. Like even when um, when Frank was meeting, I forget who it was outside a particular club, there was prominent Greek architecture and like, you know, pottery motifs around like the the, then, you Mm -hmm. know, the characters names, all that stuff. Yeah, Yeah. Paul. 
Does he seem mm. like he suffers from excessive hubris? Not at all. No. I don't either. If anything, he's like a self-loather. Yeah. I don't think he has much self-confidence at all. <laughs> Except where maybe in the area that he's most competent, which is the military tactics, I guess. But even then, he's kind of fucked up about it because he's like, you know, has a near panic attack when he's trying to explain that it's just following orders and like his prowess doesn't seem to be used in something he's particularly prou- proud of. Yeah, I mean, when they do the the heist thing, he's like, uh, if you need me, I will come in there and get you. Sure. Like, he, he's very competent. And no, he, and he's a bad, he like he's spider monkey choke He's confident and he knows guy. he can do sure. certain shit, but yeah. that doesn't strike me as the same type of hubris as we're looking for. No, it's not a tragic flaw to be too proud <laughs> of how good you are at killing dudes. When you're actually a badass, yeah. <laughs> um, Ray. Nope. Even though I I I didn't because we kind of briefly game planned this out before we actually got on the mics mm-hmm. and I was with you, but then I just remembered hearing myself say about Ray's kind of like stubborn male pride kind of being the only link he has with Chad now. Okay, so and, that has played itself out then. Uh, I don't at know. this stage of the show where like this episode of the show where he realizes but him leaving like if we think that leaving Chad is the right thing to do then that doesn't like you know a tragic flaw of hubris would yeah. have him charge in to contest the custody and 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 get his family in real problems or real you know do something to really horrifically scar up Chad beyond what he's already done <laughs> yeah I, I mean, feel does, like does he need to I mean there's two and a half more episodes to go I suppose, where he could fuck that up. But, but he seems like he's turned the corner on it. Frank. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hubris hubris in Frank. Is it really hubris or is it like I can't – it's probably a good idea to quit while I'm ahead, but I'm not going to quit by my head because I'm not going to settle for less than what I think. I guess that is pride. I'm not going to settle for less than what life owes me. Yeah. It, it seems to me like – you know, his especially him getting back into this old game that he was part of, uh, he believes that he's still a major player in that. And I feel like he's kind of out of his element at this point um, to a certain degree. Yeah. And he doesn't believe so. He keeps protesting and saying, nope, I'm here and I'm here to stay. So deal with it. But I don't know that he is. Annie. Yeah. Annie seemed yeah. like the A number one suspect for suffering from with an her, overabundance of pride. With her just being so gung-ho about these operations that are pathetically thought out, um, pathetically orchestrated, it seems like, yeah, she's super confident in her abilities, and they may fail her when she needs them most. Her Ginsu knife routine was pretty badass, though. Totally. Yeah. Like seeing, like, because when but she was But she's doing- also there saying, yeah, I'm a badass. I know how to take care of myself. <laughs> I just remember th- when I was watching her practice on the wooden doll, I'm like, this is kind of silly. But then seeing her do those huh. exact same moves on a human body and how quickly that incapacitated the guy, it's kind of like, yeah. I said, uh, I, I said, it's kind of like a reverse, uh, you know, remember in the game of Thrones where the old bear got betrayed mm-hmm. and you know, it's like, you think he's actually going to be able to strangle this guy and then nope, you've lost too much blood. It's all over. Yeah. That was like the inverse of that. It's like, no, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, hey, fuck yeah. <laughs> Um, yep. I, I thought it was really cool. Fuck you, do. I did, too. I thought it was amazing. But, yeah, I, I think she's pretty headstrong, um, and that could be a problem for her. All right. Let's talk about the full moon theory. What's that? Full moon's the best time to ratify alliances. It was prominently a mm-hmm. full moon in this episode. Uh, somebody looked up 
on uh, one of the many astro- uh, astronomical sites. You know, you can look up when the full moon is at a particular time. And if, assuming we're thinking that this actually took place in 2014 and that future 2015. Yeah. Uh, September 9th, that was the invitation that had the Twin Peaks. <laughs> That's funny because a lot there's a lot of David Lynch stuff. And there's a Twin Peaks <laughs> logo with a I, I assumed it was a sun, but it could have been the moon. Yeah. In the background, a little gold, you know, symbol that the, the that invitation was dated September 9th, which was another night of the full moon. So they're all werewolves. Is that what I'm getting here? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but there is some kind of connection to the full moon. You You think that's just. Which implies that these people have another month to cool their heels before we'll have any other mm. weird sex culty type action. Yeah. Does that imply that this is the I mean, you you yourself said that they're gonna have to find a whole new place and yeah. you know, because honestly, I'm gonna have a huge problem if they just fucking do this twenty eight days later <laughs> yeah, at the that, same place. That's so dumb. I just like I'd be over it. Uh-huh. Uh, so please let's not have that happen. <laughs> um I, again I don't know. Some the thread that was kind of put forth this theory was making full moon to be a noun uh, because he doesn't say the full moon is the best time or when a full moon is in the air it's the best time he's like full moon is the best time to ratify alliances like Hmm. you know football season is the best time to drink beer like that's not that 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 like full moon might be the name of their organization i don't know that i buy that yeah and even if i do what does it mean who cares i'm trying to so do they worship some kind of god of the moon or like what like luna what what's going on here well i mean there has been a lot of astrological or is it just something like or astronomical cool i should say if... there's been a lot of astronomical things here like the fucked up constellation of orion yeah um i forget what the other uh weird thing in the sky uh there's this kind of full moon thing and also something i've been wanting to talk about for 3 weeks and I've forgotten until right now. The one thing in the credits that nobody has analyzed is there's two shots of a planetary transit of the sun. Do you know mm. what that is? Yeah, yeah. I was reading like on the forums. When we're on when we're on Earth and, you know, the way that everything's kind of lined up in the solar system, every once in a while you can see, like, Mercury or Venus go across the surface of the sun if you have a telescope and don't yeah. burn your eyeballs out and all that. It's not an eclipse because it doesn't cover the whole sun. No, no, no. But... It's a, it's called a transit. And there is two of those in the thing. You got the, you get the big full picture of the sun with all the solar flares and badass prominences, and you got the little planet trucking along. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that mean? No fucking clue, man. So how is that tied in any way to the plot? Right. I don't know. It's the one thing that like, you know, the I, I feel like these pine trees are going to pay out the camera with the woman that's paying. Like, a lot of these things are actually coming to fruition and they mean something. But this this planetary transit stuff, I don't know. Yeah. All right. So there's the full moon theory. Um, we talked about the LAPD involvement of the diamond heist. Uh, there's also this isn't exactly psychosphere stuff, but it's a, I think. If you just watch this episode one time and you listen to podcasts hoping to get all the nooks and crannies, there was a lot of people we saw at this party that you might have missed. Mm-hmm. For example, there is the former attorney general who's now running for governor of uh, of California. Yeah, he's uh, the one that I missed. He he was there talking to Blake. Yep. Uh, there's also in one scene the police chief of Vinci, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Chisani, the mayor's son. Osip, the Anaconda Shark Man, and uh, Mr. Catalyst. Yeah. 
all in one tight little knit group in, in this scene. So there's a lot of VIPs and people crucial to the plot at this party um, that I wanted to point out. And I've got photos of those in the uh, show notes. As I think, you know, we kind of suspected. <laughs> um, here's the other theory that I don't know what to make of, and I don't like the larger theory, but the little tidbit I really liked. Someone... Uh, did some digging around on the bartender and she's got this line of dialogue when, you know, I'm talking about the Scarface woman that's talk that seems like she's got a shine to Ray, try to invite her yeah. on a vacation at Frank's bar. Yeah. The black Rose. She claims to be from San Miguel de Allende or Allende, uh, which is, can be translated as St. Michael from the beyond. Hmm. Now the Archangel Michael, uh, not only does he lead heaven's armies against Satan in, in the Battle of Armageddon in the Book of Revelation, but he's also the mm. patron saint of police officers in the military. Okay. She has a shine towards Ray. You know, Paul is a military officer and a policeman. Is she looking out for Ray? Because the, the larger theory that I took this tidbit was is the Black Rose is essentially metaphysical purgatory. Mm. And that she is Saint Michael is trying to usher Ray's soul into a good afterlife out of purgatory into like uh, heaven. And she was upset with Annie Antigone coming in there because she was going to try to ensnare his soul back into and keep him in this purgatory state. I don't know yeah. that I buy like all I that buy analysis. Symbolism. I mean, but there's something with uh, her being, I, you know, we've th- talked about her being prominent cause she's in a lot of the episodes and she's always got like prominent camera time, giving reactions and being yeah. concerned about Ray. Maybe she's involved with the crow, maybe not, but, but being the patron saint of the police officers also would explain if she is involved with the crow, why the crow wouldn't shoot Ray. I, I'm I'm discarding that theory, man. The whole that what? she's the crow. You don't think she's the crow? The raven. Whatever. What is the significance to the plot then? I mean, it might just be that we're dealing with a man who was a liter a professor of literature for a long time. He's going to throw symbolism into this stuff and just for its sake. Yeah, just for its own sake. Yeah. And I think if you want to see like some sort of guiding voice for Ray, absolutely she could be it because we've always seen her interacting with Ray in that particular way, right? Mm-hmm. She's always been kind to him whereas all of all of the other things in Ray's life are negative influences. I live it full. I live it wide. Two layers of time you can't divide. Bald Move depends on your support to create our independent podcast. Find out how you can help out and get lots of great perks such as ad-free podcasts, live video feeds, and other exclusive bonus content at club.baldmove.com. If you'd like to send in your feedback, you can do so by emailing it to truedetective at baldmove.com. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com and participate in our discussion forums. Keep up with our latest release schedules by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter. I live among you, well disguised.